there's a guy here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? We have a benefactor, it seems. What now? I'm surprised you don't see it. You being the original and all. I do think things are getting serious with this guy. Um, I just met his parents. Well, that's not true. They're divorced. I met someone important and someone less so. <laughs> scary nonetheless. I haven't met a dude's parents in so long. I just like, I'm just not in parent meeting shape. I curse for a living. I wasn't even sure if I could turn that off. I was so scared I was going to be myself. <laughs> Most terrifying is that I met him at a Rosh Hashanah dinner. Again, not Jewish, just have the face of one. So I, I don't know anything about Judaism. And if I'm being honest, I don't know anything about my own religion. I, I wasn't raised religious. I had to deduce that for myself. So I'm one of five kids. My parents are filled with anger and guilt. You put those symptoms in Google, you're Catholic. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show, where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and um, I, I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm kind of thrown by some of the BAFTA uh, wins uh, that happened last weekend. Hi, I'm producer Dave. Uh, yeah, some of those were a bit surprising. Um, I, I was gratified that the uh, Chloe's uh, Chloe won the uh, best director award for that film. But uh, yeah, that that was surprising. That for me was surprising. Chloe Zhao winning for uh, for uh, Nomad's Land uh, because I mean, you know what? I I I've never seen any of her work before, but I just thought it would be something and we'll talk about this a little bit more in the film and tv news sag segment anyway but it's just i i only had maybe one maybe two predictions that came through which was which is fair enough because i gave a warning saying no one should bet on my uh, on my predictions because you know my predictions were not going to happen so but we'll talk about this a little bit more in the film and tv news section where we'll talk about the baftas uh, but just before we jump into that um producer dave uh, what 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 TV shows or films are you looking forward to watch? Maybe this watching this weekend. Um, well, I'm glad you asked that because uh, last week I mentioned that I'd watched the first episode of uh, Invincible, and you said, yes. "Oh, let me come back to that," and we never did. We never so. did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, now you've mentioned it, let's go. Let's go so with that. So here's your chance. You've watched the first episode of Invincible. For those people who don't know what Invincible is, it's an animated superhero animated TV show on um, on uh, Amazon Prime. It's based on a graphic novel or a comic called Invincible, and it's written by uh, I can't remember his name, but he's I think Robert Kirkman, who's also responsible for The Walking Dead. And as such, one of the things that I commented on the last time we spoke about Invincible was how in the very first episode, almost the, the entire voice cast 
uh, has been in The Walking Dead. So you had um, uh, Lenny Lenny James. Um, I, I forgot his name the last time, but I've mentioned his name now. You had uh, Lenny James. You had Sonique uh, Martin. You had a whole bunch of people who all... The, the lead character, um, I can't remember his name. I, I should really come prepared for these conversations. But he played, um, he's, he's the, um, he, play, he didn't play Carl. I keep messing up his name. Um, but he was recently in, in the nominations. Fact, you know what? Give me two seconds. I'm going to quickly check to see what his name is because I always do this and I shouldn't. Um, oh, I thought he was nominated. He wasn't even nominated for in any of the BAFTAs. So I guess, no, I can't bring up his name. I'll think of his name and I'll bring it up later on while producer Dave is giving us his opinion about Invincible. So I'll start oh, talking. Invincible. Simmons, isn't it? Invincible. I, I actually thought um, interesting, a very interesting uh, take on the superhero genre because you can actually recognize all the superheroes there by their powers, but not by their, not necessarily by their names. Um, it was by turns comic and dark. Uh, the darkness really came out towards the end. I mean, if you watched the first episode, it takes a twist at the end, which really sort of like is a bit of a gut punch. You think to yourself, what on earth is going on? It was um, a little bit darker than I was expecting. I was thinking, okay, this is like a normal cartoons, superheroes fair, but it didn't turn out to be a little bit more intriguing. And you can see kind of where it's gonna go in certain aspects, but there is also a bit of mystery there, which I'm looking forward to seeing. So I still, don't, I still haven't seen the second episode yet. I, I have to wait to see that because uh, uh, I, I need to- Four episodes so far. There, there are four, four episodes. episodes so far. So so I've got I've got the names of the people. So it's Robert Kirkman, uh, and Ryan Otley, who who wrote who wrote the um, were the writers, um, Stephen Yuen, who is for in um, in um, in Walking Dead as because um, I always do this, I always forget what his name. So I've gone back, I've grabbed some of the information so I can go through Glenn. So it's Glenn from Walking Dead. He's the lead character. He plays the character called Invincible. You have Sandra Oh from Killing Eve and uh, um, Grey's Anatomy and so on. You got J.K. Simmons, the great J.K. Simmons. I mean, that guy pops up in everything. Love him and everything that he does. Uh, Zazie Beats from Atlanta uh, and also from Deadpool 2 as uh, Domino. She's in it as well. Uh, you have, and then you have, talking about the Walking Dead cast, right? So you had... Um, uh, Kerry Payton, who plays he plays Cyborg as well in the um, in Teen Titans, but he's also King Ezekiel in Walking Dead. Uh, you had Mark Hamill in it, Clancy Brown, Zachary Quinto. I'm just rattling off names. Um, uh, Mahershala Ali, uh, Walton Goggins. All of these people. These are he's like if a lot of these names, some people are thinking I don't I don't know that name at all. I don't know who that is, who that is. But you see faces or you hear voices, and you would recognize every single one of them. And you're absolutely right about the, the the setup at the very beginning. This is not a spoiler because it happens. John Hamm. John Hamm is a character, is, a, is an actor. John Hamm from Mad Men. He, so far, he's appeared in two episodes at the very beginning. He's like the very first voice that you hear. And, you're, and he's not the kind of, well, I don't know. It might change later on. But he's not the character that you think he's, whatever. Anyway, sorry. I, I geek out over names. Um, but... It happens in the very first scene, in the very first episode, so it's not a spoiler to say there's a, uh, the, the character you were talking about with regards to recognizing the, 
um, the talents, right? The superhero powers. It's essentially the Justice League. So you have a version of Batman, you have a version of Martian Manhunter, a version of Flash, and so on and so forth. Obviously, they go by different names, uh, but you see them doing their thing. Um, but you're right. There's a massive twist at the very end that basically it's essentially it's the se- the first episode you're watching it and you're thinking oh this is just your average superhero stuff right it's your ab- average superhero fare until the last scene of the first episode that it completely turns it on its head and then and from that point going forward essentially the message at the end of that um episode is you're, you're not going to be able to, I mean, fair enough, you can probably predict, but don't be absolutely secure in your prediction of what's coming up next. That's what I really like about it. I've watched all four episodes that are available so far. Um, I can't wait for the next episode. I love the show. I think it's great. I think Robert Kirkman is, is you know, his work is fantastic. I, I, I am still one person who watches The Walking Dead. Um, even in its last season, everyone's like, oh, you're still watching that? I'm like, yes, I still watch it. Um, it's mainly because of all the time I've invested in the characters. So at the end of the day, if I were to start now, I wouldn't watch it. But I'm watching it because I have to see it through. I have to see where it ends, how it ends, and go from there. But I'm glad you mentioned Invincible. Glad we got the chance for you to. Are you going to watch the next few episodes, David? I am going to watch the next few episodes. And... Speaking of so what have I been watching? The other one that I've been watching is Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And good. Episode four, excellent. Um, not as good as previous two, I think. Uh, Zemo is wicked. Of course. Captain America, the new Captain America. Oh gosh. He has... Hashtag not my Captain America. <laughs> Funny enough, um, I, I just think that whole series so far is like speaking about the world as it is now, even though they're talking about a fictional world. Of and, course. Um, and it's it kind of like a critique of the way America is looked on in the world as well, personified by Captain America, you know. Of course. Um, it is really, really good. I really enjoy. Yeah. I'm really enjoying that. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad I've heard you say that. Um, it's again for those who don't know what we're talking about. This is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's on Disney Plus. It is. It is Disney Plus and Marvel's way of sort of telling some of the side stories in order to connect what's going to happen in the major cinematic universe. So Marvel Cinematic Universe. Perfect timing, really. I mean, with COVID happening and everything being locked down where people couldn't go to the cinema. The only film in the MCU that really has ex- experienced such, uh, it, it's been the massive casualty from the whole lockdown pandemic is Black Widow. Because mm. Black Widow was supposed to kick off phase four of the cinematic universe, but it just happened to be released when the first lockdown happened. So now they're going to try and re-release it in uh, in cinema, in, not in cinemas, in, uh, on Disney+. Plus. Which somebody's asked me, are you going to shell out 30, 30 pounds for it? Yes, I am. I'm going to shell out 30 pounds for it because MCU can, you, you literally, you can literally, uh, MCU could, and Disney Plus can literally put one of those, um, you know, I, I remember them as the child, child support protection things where, um, you know, the, you know, the, the, the ah, my brain has gone mush. You know, the companies that sort of send a, uh, an order to your company would pay your salary to be able to deduct money for child support. I'm no, not that- saying anybody does that for my, for, for me, because I pay my bills. But uh, just saying, Disney Plus can do the same thing to my to my 
my salary employers to provide my salary and they can start deducting a portion of my salary every month. I don't care. It's fine. I am bought and paid for by Disney, Disney Plus and Marvel uh, and MCU, whatever you want to say. Anyway, I'm rambling a little bit too much. Yes, you Just are. Coming back to the point. <laughs> coming back. It's okay. Producer Dave can cut all this bit out. Um, coming back to the point, I'm fully on board with almost with everything that they do. They, they do. Um, I'm happy to give them the benefit of the doubt. If they crash and burn, I'm the one who's going to say, ah, there, there, you tried something. Well done. Good for it. And that's what they're doing right now with this, uh, these set of TV series, these TV shows. So you've had Wonder, uh, WandaVision that happened, which a lot of people were mocking it when it came out. And then when it finished, they were like, okay, I see what they're doing. And I was like, no, I was from the start. It's a great show. So you then see the evolution of, uh, of Scarlet Witch into what she is now. And you see the rebirth of Vision. So that when you then go back into the MCU and you bring the, you know, big, the next uh, um, Avengers movie that comes out, you then see these characters come up. You understand what's going on. So they're doing all those tiny, tiny little stories. Some, same thing with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, both characters could not really breathe in the, in the MCU because when you, unless you do a movie for them, which, yeah, you can if you want to, but they're not like the top tier characters, right? So you can have a Captain America movie. Well, not anymore because um, Steve Rogers has stepped down, as we saw in, the, in Avengers Endgame. You could do an Iron Man movie, which they can't anymore because Iron Man, obviously, as Tony Stark, has moved on. Um, you can do a Thor movie, they, which they are. They're doing Thor 4, right? Um, uh, that one is coming out. Um, Hulk. Hulk, I think they, that's, they, they haven't done another one because of um, contract agreements and so on and so forth. So that hasn't come out. But those are the big tier characters. You can do those big movies for those characters. But you can't do for Falcon and Winter Soldier. You can't really do for Scarlet Witch. So that's why these TV shows the Disney Plus are putting out are bridging that gap to develop these characters. And look at WandaVision. You now have the introduction of, oh, what's her name? Um, can't uh, uh, Monica Rambeau. Monica Rambeau comes in and you expand more on her character. So when she comes into the MCU, you understand what's happened. With Falcon and Winter Soldier, you talked about Zemo. Hey, oh, come on. I mean, he's the best character in the show, right? He rocks up and you're like, Yes, this is my kind of villain. He's, a, he's not even a villain. He's an anti-hero. He's basically, uh, okay, I wouldn't call him, I wouldn't say he's equivalent to Punisher, but he's kind of like Punisher in the sense where Punisher does bad things to bad people, um, but he's the hero. So he's the anti-hero. And that's what Zemo is. Zemo is being painted now as the anti-hero of the show. And it's, it's great. He's, he's, he, every time he chews the scenery um, whenever he comes on and does his thing, but he elevates everything. Right. And in episode four, I understand what you, you're saying about sort of it, it, is it better than the other? It's not it's it's I wouldn't say it's the weakest, but it in terms of what it, what actually, no, I disagree. I don't even think it's the weakest, but that's because every episode so far, each of the, the episodes have been really strong, have been really good in their own way. So the first one is slowly introducing all the characters, you know, saying what happened after the, the shield was given to 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 um, to Sam Wins uh, Wilson, Sam Wilson. What happens? Does he become Captain America or does he step aside and do something else? Obviously, he steps aside and then a new Captain America steps up. And now he and Bucky have to come back and do stuff. And then they introduce a villain and introduce other people. And we have callbacks to the uh, to Winter Soldier with um uh, Betrock the Leaper in the very first episode, right? So the the French terrorist 
because you know comic book fans know him and i know him from the animated show where he was like this french thief that just all he does is like parkour jumping left and right but he comes in the first episode and it's an amazing amazing set piece with falcon going to to stop him and 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 whatnot but it's very tense it's great it's 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 cinematic quality being put on the tv and i really really enjoy the falcon and the soldier i think i think even if you i mean yes you need to know the mcu well enough to really enjoy a lot of the jokes the in jokes that happen um and to know the story plot like for example when the dora malaji show up right i mean what they, they show up obviously john walker the new captain america has no experience of them whatsoever that he 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 tries to use the whole America thing, right? It's like, ah, you know, I'm Captain America. Don't you know who I am? It's like, you know, Dora Malaji have no jurisdiction here. And she just turns around and says, the Dora, Dora Malaji have, um, have jurisdiction wherever the Dora Malaji find themselves to be. And it's like everyone in the room, even Falcon says that line. It's like, yo, you'd rather tussle, tussle with Bucky than tussle with these cats. And they should, and it's his line at the end as well where he just says it to himself. He's like, they weren't even super soldiers. <laughs> it's like, yes, because they are that amazing. Yeah, anyway. And they're women as well. That's the other thing. But um, one thing about Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, did a little bit of research, and yeah. <clears throat> they introduced a place, Mandripur, I think it is. Um, uh, Man Man Mandripur, yeah. Mandripur. Now that place is brand new to the MCU. However, it started off as an X-Men property. Really? Yes. Okay. So they, start, they brought in something that was so, they couldn't use before until they got X-Men back into their, into their, to their realm. And now yeah. they can use it. I'm thinking, okay, does this mean they're going to start bringing the X-Men in? Because, you know, if they can use that, then they can slowly start using, bringing in X-Men and also Agent Carter as well. I see your point. I see, oh, well, um, okay. Um, I see your point with regards to bringing in X-Men. Wait, when you say Agent Carter, what, what do you mean bringing in Agent Carter? Well, she's there, isn't she? Oh, oh, sorry. You, yes, um, Sharon, Sharon Carter. Yes, sorry. I thought you meant when you said Agent Carter because she's no longer Agent Carter, right? Exactly. Yeah, so... But yeah, that makes absolute sense. And that's again what MCU and Disney Plus are doing and they're doing so well, where they're allowing these, these properties to come out in, the, you know, in their sub-stories, their, their, their side stories, the TV, the TV shows that are coming out with, with six episodes, seven episodes, 10, 10 episodes, to be able to explain and expand on some of these fantastic side characters that wouldn't have that breathing room in the film. So you get to see them. You talked about Sharon Carter, talked about um, Baron Zemo, who's popped back up. In WandaVision, you had uh, Jessica Rambeau, uh, you know, uh, sorry, Monica Rambeau. You had um, uh, Agent Cho, you know, from Ant-Man. It's just a side throwaway character from Ant-Man. You see him pop up in WandaVision and he's fantastic in WandaVision. It's just, it's, they, they give that opportunity for that to expand. I cannot wait for Loki to come out, the TV series Loki. I'm even interested in seeing Hawkeye, which is coming out afterwards. Um, and I think there's one more. I can't remember which one it is. But yeah, but that's what they're doing. They're just fleshing out, fleshing out. And then they start going back into the uh, the big screen outings. Like uh, I think Thor 4 will be the next one after uh, Black Widow and so on. I can't wait to see what MCU do. 
Actually, something's just struck me. Um, Black Widow, as we, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched um, Endgame, Black Widow is no more. However, <laughs> the film, yeah, the film Black Widow is set before, long before, yes, um, Endgame, Avengers, and what have you. Yes. So how can that kick off Phase Four? So I, uh, I haven't seen it. So take my um, opinion as just that. It is just opinion based on what I personally, if I were involved in the creation of the story, and I were told that this is what's going to happen, why I would be doing it. So here's what I think with, with Black Widow and the connection. So yes, Black Widow, I believe, is going to be set just before Civil War. So that's when she was still within Shield, still an agent within Shield. Stuff has been happening, but obviously it's not Avengers level. So she gets sent off to Russia. She meets her all her family and so on and so forth. I think they're going to introduce a new character in that. Now take what I'm saying with a pinch of salt because I don't watch trailers. I try to avoid trailers, especially for Marvel, so I can get surprised when I'm watching the actual film. But I've heard the Taskmaster is in it now. I believe the way it's going to be is the Taskmaster, while will get defeated by Black Widow in that film, it's a setup to show who Taskmaster is. For those people who don't know Taskmaster, and I apologize to all the Marvel fans, I'm going to butcher this character, but Taskmaster used to be an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and his main power was that he can look at your fighting style and adapt and he can always plan ahead uh, as in he's like a master strategist as well. So that's kind of his way of beating uh, his opponents. So I think he'll fight with, he'll be introduced into in Black Widow. Um, I think Black Widow will put him down as in like defeat him. He'll start planning his return. But obviously, because if you look at the chronology, Civil War happens and then there's two years later and then the, the blip or the snap happens and then it's five years later and then the snap happens again and everyone comes back. So I think what's actually going to happen is Taskmaster, they, they will show how Taskmaster was about to implement his own plan, but then the snap happened. Obviously he didn't predict Thanos coming and snapping. He gets snapped away, he gets dusted, right? And then the blip comes back, he comes back. And now, and if I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if they reintroduce him into the MCU with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, because it's kind of around that set of area, right? It's, it's like espionage, et cetera. So they'll then reintroduce him into the MCU and then that would then connect to a larger picture, which would then be the bigger picture. Now, that's just my opinion. I think that's how it's going to be. And I think that's why Black Widow is what kicks off phase four. But hey, take my opinion with a pinch of salt. I'm just a guy rambling on the radio. Speaking <laughs> of which, you're, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm producer Dave. And let's jump into film and TV news. <laughs> So in film and TV news this week, last weekend was the BAFTA uh, Awards. So um, I had given some predictions, some, most which went horribly wrong, but one which was correct, absolutely one, at least one was, was of my predictions. And that was um, the, uh, the supporting actor, which was taken by Daniel Kaluuya. Um, and he's, I think he's going to have a clean sweep. He's, uh, he's had Golden Globe where he won Best Supporting Actor for his role in Judas and the Black Messiah. He's now gotten a BAFTA. 
I believe he's going to take the Oscar because he's been nominated for the Oscar as well. I believe he's going to take that Oscar as well. He beat uh, people such as Barry Co uh, uh, Keegan from Calm With Horses, uh, Alan Kim from Minari, Leslie Odom Jr. from One Night in Miami, Clark Peters from The Five Bloods, and Paul Rassi from Sound of Metal. Um, so he beat all of those people uh, expected. The other ones that I... I predicted incorrectly and i have to go back and listen to the other show to, to remember it um I, I, may have said, I, I may have said um uh what is it i may have said nomad nomad land uh and i said that i was supposed to be the one he was supposed to be on uh no that, that, that's that's the best film um I, I i think i said something like either um the the father would have taken that or something else but uh, but uh, anthony hopkins took um leading actor from that one uh, the Father won Best Adapted Screenplay. Frances McDormand won uh, Leading Actress from Nomadland. Um, and then Original Screenplay was taken by Promising Young Woman. And it also took uh, Outstanding British Film. So I didn't, I didn't guess Outstanding British Film would be won by that one. I thought The Father would take that one, but it, it took it anyway, so that's good. And then uh, Chloe Zhao uh, winning Best Director. And you, you mentioned just before uh, just before the show that's sort of the the second uh, um, the second time a woman has won best director is that correct? That's right. In over fifty years, yeah, I think it's fifty three years or whatever. It was the, only the second woman to have won it. But I mean, it 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 was likely to happen because out of the I think it was it five or six nominations, four of them were women. So there were good chances that it was going to be a woman to win. Yeah. Well, you you know, it, it was a long time coming. It's happened now. So it's um, it's fantastic. It's good to hear that. Um, and I need to check out that film just to make sure that um, that it, it's it, it's 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 yeah, I, I want to check it. out. I love Frances McDormand, all the stuff that she's done anyway. So it's it's all good. Um, but yeah, you know, congratulations to all those who won uh, the uh, the BAFTAs this 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 week. Um, you know, don't look at me for any predictions in the future because my gambling history is terrible. So yeah, that's good. Um, anyway, we're going to move on from, uh, from the, uh, the film and TV news. We're going to move on to our spotlight. I had the opportunity to interview uh, a, a comedian that I hold in high regard. She's an upcoming, uh, she's not as upcoming. She's got a number of specials. Uh, Liz Mealy uh, from America. She's, uh, I had the chance to interview her and talk about her career as well as a book that she is now releasing. I'm not going to say the name of the book because I don't want to give uh, producer Dave any more uh, editing duties than he has, that he already has with that particular interview. So heads up, producer Dave, you've got a lot of work coming your way with that particular interview. Um, and she gives you a shout out as well. So uh, listen out for that. So this is Spotlight. <laughs> You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm joined by a comedian, a comedian, a, co a comedian um, who I have stalked for quite a while online. Uh, and it sounds weird to say it, but it's true. Everyone who knows me knows that I do that. Um, and I've, I was looking to go to her show in the UK when it was going to come to the UK. I missed one of her shows. And then the next time she was planning on coming to Europe, 
COVID happened. So that didn't happen anymore. So, um, but enough about me talking about her. I'd like to get her to introduce herself. Please tell us your name and uh, the next time, well, what your current uh, comedy show is called. Um, so my name is Liz Mealy. Um, current comedy show, I mean, my last special was called Self Help Me and that is already out on YouTube. Um, I think my next hour, I have almost a full new hour since my last special that I wrote all on Zoom. So I can't be good. I don't think it's going to be a good hour. Um, <laughs> but that one tentatively is called uh, Emotional Ninja. See, you've answered a question I was going to ask as well, because uh, we'll, we'll come to that part in a second about you having thrown your special on YouTube. Um, but that, hey, that, that shows confidence, which I admire. So that's good. But let's jump to the very beginning. The question I want to ask first, how did you get into comedy? Um, so I started really young. I started when I was 16 years old. Um, I discovered stand-up when I was like 13, 14. And I was just so dr drawn to it in a way that like, I don't feel like I had strong opinions as a kid. Um, and I think even sometimes up until maybe like 10 years ago, I might have not put my opinions out there, but it was just so like, this is awesome. I love this. So I always knew I wanted to be funny. I, you know, very typical. I liked SNL. Um, I watched funny movies. Uh, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. So I, I want I at the time before I discovered stand up, I, I thought I wanted to be like Sandra Bullock in the 90s. You know what I mean? Like, like Pratt Falls, but beautiful hair, like that kind of vibe. And then, but I always wrote like, I'm, I'm dyslexic and it was very weird to be like, I'm really into reading and writing, but I don't want anybody to see it. Cause I'm not good at it. Like, I don't know how to spell. And yeah. to this day, I still don't like people looking at my written word. Um, but when I discovered stand up, it was like the perfect mix. Like I could write and be funny and nobody ever had to physically see my writing. And it just, my heart just glowed and I became obsessed with it. And I, you know, at the time I would have to record it off VHS tapes, like somebody would be on Comedy Central or HBO or whatever. And I would like time it and I would get on VHS tapes and I would take it to my girlfriend's house and be like, I just discovered Mitch Hedberg. I know he's on TV, but I discovered him. And then I would go show them. Um, and then uh, I started writing when I was 14. And then uh, um, I started performing when I was 16. I, I was, you mentioned Mitch Hedberg uh, and there is, there is an, while your style doesn't, isn't similar to his style where, I mean, with his, it's sort of like punch, is, is, is joke punchline, uh, more absurd comedy. Yours is slightly different, but there's a, a, a delivery where you can see the little bit of influence is there, but uh, it's completely different from what he does. I was going to ask about your uh, your inspiration, but you've already mentioned you talked about uh, uh, SNL sketch uh, sketches and and looking in in on I, I can watch on Zoom. People, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see all the the posters that you have. You have Eddie Murphy there, Robin Williams, um, Bill Murray, Steve Martin. So is it is it? You got Dick Gregory right there. Yes, uh, yeah, Richard exactly. Pryor, uh, Mel Brooks, and Carl Reiner, uh, Robin Williams, George Carlin. So, so here's a question that I, I didn't want to ask until I saw all those pictures there. Um, um, are you more inspired by male comedians as opposed to female comedians? Or do you have some female comedians that are sort of your you know, idols, people who have either broken through that glass ceiling or they've done things that you feel, actually, this is why I feel as a woman, I can stand up and do comedy? Um, so I, if I'm influenced by... 
I like comedy. I, I mean, I don't think it'd be the same way if I asked you, are, you know, are you influenced by, I'm assuming you're black or, you know, some kind of mix. I'm mixed race. I'm mixed race. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, th but thank you for asking. Yeah. Like, I don't know. But like, the truth of the matter is, is I don't look at a female comic and be like, she's my inspiration because I'm like her and she's doing it. I looked at funny people and I thought, oh my God, I want to be funny like them. And then I would see like Wanda Sykes. I would see Paula Poundstone. I would see Joan Rivers. I would see, you know, um, people that I saw or Margaret Cho. Margaret Cho started when she was 14. Like her being 14 was probably more inspirational than her being a woman or um, even her being a, a minority in this um, art form. Uh, but yes, they, female comics had an influence on me in the sense that like I saw like what they are kind of talking about more and more now is that you able to see yourself. If you have a disability and you see somebody with a disability in a movie, you think, oh, maybe I can do that too. So I, I'm not gonna uh, neglect the fact that of course that was inspirational, but my influence in my style and um, uh, getting my unique voice out there was completely based on the tone and abilities of the comic. So like um, Christopher Titus had a TV show uh, when I was in middle school, high school called just Titus. I but remember, I remember Titus, yeah. Yeah, but both his one man show, which I actually watched after his TV show, but that was the thing that got him his show. His, uh, his one man show, um, Norman Rockwell is burning. And then his show Titus, like he joked about, you know, his uh, dad being an alcoholic and his mom being mentally ill. Um, I I'm a huge fan of David Sedaris. David Sedaris is one of six kids. I'm one of five kids. He joked about how difficult and weird and awful his upbringing was, especially being from a large family. I'm from a large family. So I think the relatability of being a woman is absolutely there, but you and I both know as minorities that we don't identify by one, we're multifaceted people. I'm a woman, I'm short, I'm a sister, I'm from a large family, I'm non-religious, I like cats, I hate people. You know what I mean? Like there's so many different things that I, that propel me to feel connected and being a woman is a fraction of it. So I, I feel like Mitch Hedberg had such creative ways of looking at the world. So I related to Mitch Hedberg. Wanda Sykes was so brilliant. Like her stuff from like, when she was Wanda Sykes Hall, you know, when she was married to a man, then she was single and then she came out as a lesbian and then she's married to a white woman, you know, and then also becomes more famous. Like, I feel like every facet of her life, I've just was like, she just grew and she was able to say just smart, sarcastic, thoughtful in a way that like, I still dream of being able to uh, do it. That again, her being a woman is just such a small facet of what she talks about. And that's, I, I I want to be an inspiration to clearly um, young women, um, you know, girls to, to women. But at the same time, I also want to come on stage and I don't want to just be identified or think that I'm only relatable to certain people because of my experiences. As I totally, I totally get that. And, and I'm, and thank you very much for, for putting that point across. It seems 
a lot of people, which is one of the reasons I didn't want to ask that question, because it seems that staple of interviews where whenever any interviewer is interviewing uh, a female comedian, that question always seems to get brought up about what do you think about women in comedy? And I didn't want to ask that question. Uh, it's okay. It's I don't, I don't have a problem with it. And I, there's so many brilliant female comics that came before me that are going on right now and that'll, that'll be in the future. But I, I think when you love something, you know, you don't really, you don't think of gender. You, you, you think of, do I relate to this? And that clearly has some influence. You know, if somebody's talking about, you know, being followed late at night, you know, and being scared to walk home at night, which is a joke that I, I have. Clearly it's much more relatable to women, but I also have trans friends that relate to that joke. I also have kind of guys that are, you know, smaller and scrawny that relate to that joke and that have been jumped and, and robbed, you know, there, it, it, it might start out by my unique perspective of being a woman, but it can branch out to people that I wouldn't even think would relate to it because, you know, the goal is to connect with as many people as possible. That's right. That's right. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm speaking with comedian Liz Millet. Now, am I right in pronouncing that Millet? Millet? I mean, you're giving it so much more um, love and uh, oh. care than my family ever would. I'm sure, like it's Italian, so I'm sure it's like miele, but uh, miele, I'm never okay. gonna say that. So we just say mealy. Mealy, yeah. mealy. Okay, I, because that's, I've I've heard a number of different announcers announce your name differently. I don't correct it. And I was. I won't. No, oh, that's. It good. doesn't matter. It, it's we've Americanized it, and nothing matters. So it's Liz Mealy. Yeah, as long as you spell it right and you can Google me, I could care less how you say it. And if anyone wants to Google you, it's L-I-Z, um, Liz, and then M-I-E-L-E. -E. So that's uh, that's how you can find on, on YouTube. So now I want to ask you personally, you talked about your structure, how you, uh, how you, you know, do your comedy. How do you personally construct a joke for, for your set? How do you construct a joke? It's funny because, I mean, it changes. So for me, it's always about sticky thoughts, you know, a funny thought I have, an interesting thought, an upsetting thought, a, a thought, just something that won't go away. Like this person pissed me off and I can't let it go. Or I've been really upset about this thing. And it seems kind of trivial and silly to be upset about like any kind of, I kind of follow strong emotions, positive or negative, you know, absolute elation to, to deep depression, to just complete confusion, whatever it is. And I try to put that down on paper, then I'll come back to it either later that day or sometimes days or weeks later and I flesh it out. Why was I so upset at that guy? Why was I so confused by this process at the post office? Whatever it is. And then from there, I try to cut it down and figure out what the bare bones of it is. Because the truth of the matter is, is you need to get to the punchline quickly. So I'm like, what am I trying to say? What can I cut out that people just in, in, just know because everybody's been to the post office or everybody has had that kind of confrontation with somebody on the subway. Like how can I get everything out that is just assumed and just have the absolute limit, like little information as possible to get the funny out. And then from there, anything that is a setup or does have to be said, or could be portrayed as boring. How do I make it funnier? How do I say it in a unique way? So what I did love about Mitch Hedberg is he would, you know, he was a one-liner, but he would take something that we all know and he would, sh and he would shift your thought process in the sense that you can never not see it his way again. Escalators can never be broke. They can only become stairs. Sorry for the convenience. 
we've all walked up escalators and felt inconvenienced. But at the end of the day, you still can get upstairs. And he took something that seemed negative and made it positive. Um, you know, uh, uh, do you think the Pringles company, when they got, you know what I mean? We're supposed to get a bunch of tennis balls, but when potatoes showed up, they were a lax company. They're like, I'm cutting them up. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, why is this cylinder? Why do Pringles? So the same kind of thing with me is like, I had a joke about Xanax. I don't even actually know how the joke goes anymore because it's been over a year how I did it. But I remember performing it in London and my my agent at the time was like, hey, we don't label our drugs. Like you guys rename them in America. You actually have to tell people what Xanax is. And because she told me I had to explain it, I was like, well, I don't want to be boring for a line. And then I explained it funny. And now it's one of my favorite one-liners is how I explain what Xanax is. And that's not even a part, that wasn't even a part of the joke. That was a note of like, hey, you need to let people know what Xanax is outside of the US because we don't know what it is. Um, so uh, for me, it's, it's a process of ideas editing, punching up, editing, punching up, editing till it's like boof, boof, boof. And it's just hitting you in the face with jokes. Even if it is a five minute story, there's going to be at least 10 to 15 jokes in there. So on average, and, and I understand obviously each joke is different. Each, each joke, each joke comes to you in a different type of inspiration and the punchline will come separately from another one. Or as you said, the punchline for a joke might actually come from a note that you get from your agent or from a heckle from, from the crowd. Um, on average, how long does it take you to construct a particular joke? Would you say if you were to sit down and design a joke from beginning to end, what, what would you say as the estimate would be? two things have to come into play. The first thing is how long the joke is. So a 30 second joke is going to polish a lot quicker than a six minute joke. Um, And then how often I'm getting on stage. It was much easier when I was getting on stage anywhere from five to 15 times a week to polish a joke quickly, as opposed to this past year, I'm doing a zoom show once a week and maybe a park show once a week. So I'm, I'm proud of what I was able to accomplish this last year. And I, I got a lot more done than I even realized, but it, it really is based on how much stage time. So I would say pre pandemic, getting a fair amount of stage time. And we'll just say on average, my jokes are two to three minutes. It takes anywhere from two weeks to two months to polish that kind of joke. But like Feminist sex positions was like one of my most viral jokes. It's like a six, it's like a four to five minute bit, but it was also like one of the first examples of me really pushing the boundaries and and really layering a joke. That took me six months. I gave up in the middle of it, um, came back to it a month later. Um, I have another viral video called Finland. That's a seven minute story that took probably six months and um, again, was kind of pushing the boundaries of what I was capable of doing at the time. So now I think I'm a little faster with stories and I, I have a little more idea and structure and I can go, that needs to start there. I don't know why I'm putting that in the middle. Like I can get it through a, a little faster than I did before, but I would say average, it takes me, I would say one to three months to write that's, a joke. That, that's, that tracks. Um, uh, to be honest, I, 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 the only reason I asked that question is because I have, I have a great admiration for stand-up comedians. I've always... I've always wanted to get up and do stand-up comedy, but I know I don't have the balls to do it. So I, instead, I just, I stay and do radio when I can and, 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 and write and that's, that's all I do. So I, I don't do what you do. So I appreciate that. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm here with comedian Liz Mealy, who is yeah, here nice. 
Yeah, thank you. Uh, who's who's yeah, telling me all about how she crafts comedy and the work that she does, including a book that she's just written, which I'm not going to say what the name is. I'd like you to tell us what the book is, uh, what, what the name of the book is and what it's about. I'm allowed to curse, right? Because you're, you're not. But don't worry. Producer Dave is going to have a lot of a lot of fun. Um, and, OK, um, yeah, it. no, I got I got a potty mouth. What you should do, go for it. Just be as, you know, be as offensive as you want to be. And uh, just say hi, say hi to producer Dave. Who's yeah. Hi, Dave. Sorry, Dave. Um, you thought this was going to be an easy week. Um, so my, my book is called Why Cats Are Assholes. Beep. What if I just start going, like, just beeping for no reason? No, it's um, okay. Just throw, throw it in randomly yeah, and spontaneously. I'm just cursing out Dave. He's like, this doesn't seem appropriate. Um, of course. So uh, it is, it just came out, oh, actually, it's not out in the UK yet. It just came out in the US uh, March 30th and all my UK fans say it should come to them April 29th, uh, 27th or something like that. Um, but it is honestly 200 pages of cat jokes. That's almost not in that structure, but that's how I read it. It's basically a, uh, a history of why cats are the way they are in a comedic sense. I did a lot of research for it. And it comes from a place of love because what I find so funny is not one cat enthusiast enthusiast has been like, what, what do you mean cats are at? like, nobody's ever every single, like I've been on so many like cat podcasts, cat behavioral behavioralists, like people that are like just cat crazy. And they've all been like, this is a great title. This is a great book. Like, cause we just know they're curmudgeon and they're, they, they truly dance to the beat of their own drum and they are who they are and we accept them as they are. And this is a very loving uh, book towards them, but it's realistic. And that's how I've always written about cats. Both my parents are veterinarians. My mom's a cat specialist. I've always had a cat and I love them with my whole heart, but almost every joke I've written has been like, this feels like an abusive relationship. Like this doesn't, like it feels like if this was a person, my therapist would have told me, that I can do better. So I, I, I think that's why people, um, I've always said I've written too many cat jokes. Almost every album and hour I've done has a bunch of cat jokes, but it's from that perspective. It's not like cats are better than dogs. It's more like we own them and it seems like we need higher self-esteem. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? Like, so um, the editor that found me to write this joke, he had seen one of my bits. I think it's from my first album, but the bit, I never remember what I called it, but it was something like, um, everyone's one bad breakup away from owning a cat. And like the whole thesis is nobody buys a cat, like something bad has to happen to you and then they kind of fall into your life. Yeah. And I feel like it was just, whether you liked cats or not, it was just this aha moment where everybody's like, that's the perfect way of describing it. They're free. It seems like someone's always trying to get rid of them. You know, there's the, the pictures on the internet are both like, look how cute it is. And also I'll murder this cat in its sleep why is it behaving this way? And then somebody will be like, why don't you get rid of it? You're like, I would never, I love it so much. Why would you say that? Uh, you're absolutely right. We used to own uh, cats as well. Um, and we had to, uh, we had to give them away. Um, I won't say too much about that, but we moved to dogs. I'm a dog person yeah. myself. Um, although for the years that we had the cats, I did appreciate it. It was one of those things where it's like, it, it, it got thrust onto me and I was like fine and we loved each other kept each other company and then when they left it was like can I have dogs now and the dogs are wonderful um but I'm a I'm strictly a dog person but I will get the books because because uh, I love your sense of humor I think it's great uh and that actually ties into the next question I wanted to ask which is 
you, stand-up comedy is different because you tell a joke and you can get the immediate reaction from the crowd who are laughing at you. Obviously, Zoom is slightly different, especially if people are on mute and you just see laughing faces. You don't get to hear the reaction. But you're writing a book, right? How do you, how do you structure comedy in written form to give to people that you're not getting that immediate reaction. The reaction you're getting is when the critics or your beta readers come back to you and say, yeah, this was funny, this wasn't funny, this was funny. How do you structure a joke or make comedy in a book format? Yeah, I mean, it was scary. I, I was actually, I had coffee with my friend uh, this weekend and I kind of allu alluded to that where I was just like the only other per like my editor read it and my mom read it. And those are the only people that back like I have an idea and within a couple of days I'm on stage trying it and it was really scary so I mean I have enough confidence after almost 20 years of doing this that I, I know what funny is but I think I first made an outline of everything I wanted to cover then I did a bunch of research then I wrote how I felt and I made some jokes first draft out don't judge it and then punch it up. And then maybe occasionally I would tell a roommate one of the jokes I wrote or like whatever, something I was proud of. But for the most part, I did this in a vacuum and I didn't know how people were gonna react to it. I, I, I have, like I said, some confidence from doing jokes in person that even when I go to try a joke out that I haven't tried out before, I, for the most part, know what's gonna work. And when something doesn't work, I kind of was like, well, that was a risk or, but I'm, it's very rare that I have an idea. I put it out there and it bombs completely. Usually one or two lines work even before I've ever tried it. So um, yeah, it's, it's really different. And I'll be honest, like some people are coming back and they're like, this is brilliant. This was funny the whole time. And I'm just like, really? Like I'm a little bit like a little kid. I'm like, really? What parts are brilliant? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'm like, I didn't think my cat book was brilliant, but I'll take it. So I, I, it is such a different way of expressing myself. Um, and clearly this is one actual topic as opposed to I have multiple topics, but I also have a, you know, two types of people are reading this book. It's people that are already fans of my sense of humor and my comedy and people that love cats and we're gonna accept this because they love cats. So I have uh, a very cushy group of people reading this. And then I did get my first one star review on Amazon from I don't he well it's a little weird behavior but it just wrote not what I expected and then it was a picture of it in a bird cage and like pretty much like being and it was like figured out a use for it and I tell people if you don't like it or after you're done reading it turn it into cat litter like I don't give it but I was a little bit like what were you expecting like it has a cartoon cat on it it's a book about cats Funnily enough, on the YouTube channel I'm doing, The Idiot on the Writer's Block, another writer said, because we, we did a video recently, which is where uh, the, the authors were reading their worst reviews. And um, James Egan read one of his, which he said was a five-star review. Um, but it said, um, this book fit nicely under, the, uh, under a wobbly table. To, and, and, now it's, and now the table is fine. Five stars. So... I guess the, the downside to your, your uh, review was you, you got one star. That's ridiculous. 
But anyway, um, let's let's move on. Let me let me wrap up with these two questions. Uh, first of all, I know obviously COVID has got you locked down, but you mentioned that you're doing some Zoom shows. So what shows are you doing in the near future, either online, well, m- online, I guess, that our audience members can tune in and watch you live? Um, I'm doing less and less. Like I started a at first uh, bi-monthly and now monthly show called Zoom Diner where me and other comics would actually try out new material, workshop it in front of people. It was kind of like a behind the scenes kind of show, but I just did my last one yesterday. I think I'm going to take some time. I wrote probably every new thing I wrote started out with me presenting it on that um, show that I developed and it was uh, so helpful. But um, I also... Now that things are open and and stuff, I, I think I want to kind of focus on touring and what have you. So I I'm sure I will do here and there Zoom shows. I do. okay, that's that's fine. That's uh, that makes perfect sense. Um, so the final question: How can people follow you? Um, how can ca- they catch your comedy? And people want to know more about you. How can they do that? Oh yeah, so everything is at Liz Mealy. Um, so I'm on literally every social media you can think of. Uh, I'd say if you don't like cats, don't follow me on Instagram. It is a lot of cat pictures. Um, I post a cat picture every Saturday for Catterday. Um, I take a lot of pride in my cat pictures and I fish for compliments. Like I definitely want people to be like, these angles are so good. And I'm like, it's, it, I'm just so good at taking pictures of cats. Um, but yeah, so I'm on all the social media. I have a weekly podcast with my friend Maria Shahada, um, who is American, but she's London-based. Um, so you should also go see her um, in London. Uh, so Tune On Doctors is our podcast. That's weekly. And then um, you can get my book wherever you buy books. And then YouTube is where I have, I have two out of three of my hours are free on YouTube. So my first hour and my third hour are free on YouTube. And then I have an hour in the middle that I actually taped in London um, and had brought that hour to the Edinburgh Edinburgh uh, uh, Fringe Festival. I was taught for like two months that I said Edim- Edinburgh wrong. So now I have to learn how to throw it away, Edinburgh. Um, so, uh, but that one is called Mind Over Melee and that is, uh, you can like buy it and stream it. So there's, there's a, I have a lot, it's out there. You should support it. Absolutely. When we will, we'll put it in links to the, to the uh, radio show and the podcast and we'll, cha- we'll send it out to as many people as, as we can and recommend more people go and watch you and obviously listen to your podcast and whatnot. And I, if, if any, anytime you're free, feel free to message us. I'll, I will definitely bother you now that I know that you will respond to my messages and I'll try and get you back on the show at some point. <laughs> yeah. I, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you for joining us. And that was uh, Liz Mealy uh, talking with me at, uh, in Spotlight. Um, Producer Dave, what, um, how, 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 did you, how did you find uh, the, uh, the level of bleeping that you had to, to do so far? <laughs> well, well, all I'll say to that is that uh, the different bleep words had different tones. <laughs> and that's what I'm going to say. You know what? That's good. That's good. See that? That's that's why I like working with you, Bruce. You take a challenge. I throw you a challenge, and you take it, and you say, "You is that whole expression?" You say, "I give you lemons, and you make." I was gonna say, I was gonna say foie gras, foie gras, but that's that, that's you don't make lemonade out of lemons. You make lemonade, obviously. You make lemonade. You make you make lemonade, and you use the remaining lemons and season my salmon for me. So <laughs> that's 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 why I love working with Bruce Dave.
You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I want to thank all of you for, for staying, staying with us, listening to us, even though it's just me rambling and producer Dave having to put up with my incessant yammering on topics that I know nothing about. Um, but, you know, you all come back, you all listen, you all, for whatever reason, carry on downloading the podcast, which comes out on Monday. Uh, and I thank you all very much for, for, for doing that. It humbles me to know that there are people who will continue to listen to me ramble and I will continue to do it until you all say, okay, stop, go away now. And uh, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how that happens. Um, and again, as always, I'd like to thank Resonance FM for giving me the opportunity to keep talking about my stuff. Uh, I have been Marcus E. Akko. I'm still producer Dave. Saying thank you all very much for listening. And we'll speak to you all next week. Goodbye. See, producer Dave is getting choked up by that. Uh, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, he's like, tears of, he's like, tears of tears. I don't know, that's <laughs> Oh, 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 sorry.